When the world is ruled by violence and the soul of mankind fades, the children's path shall be darkened by the shadows of the neon maniacs. Episode 9, The Maniac's Lair. Welcome to Episode 9 of In the Shadows of the Neon Maniacs. This week, we're going to be looking at the final moments of the movie Neon Maniacs. So let's pick up now where we left off last week, after the high school massacre. Calm down. And we want to handle this situation in as orderly a fashion as possible. My daughter is missing, and I want to know what the police are doing about it. And mine, too. And my son. Inspector Devin is questioning some key witnesses right now. And I can assure you, he'll be taking some action at any moment. My name is Sean Robert, and I had the opportunity to design and write the Neon Maniacs trading cards for Terror Vision Records. Yeah, so this is this is another thing with this film where there's these weird tropes, and I I I guess it's a trope. I don't know, but the detective has this this whole weird aspect to his character where he's like sort of ripped out of like a '50s noir film. He's chomping on cigars and he's got a crazy fedora and the trench coat on. He's driving like a Buick from the '50s. Like his his cop car is so weird and i have to assume again that the the production had access to something like that so they're like that's production value you got to throw that in there but like the the actor went with it and kind of like became this weird kind of uh, i don't know like like 50s kind of detective hard-boiled detective character yet full of mirth (laughs) but it yeah it, it it totally reminds me and again this is the same year so I don't know, but there's in Night of the Creeps, you have the Tom Atkins detective character that's like, and this was very much done on purpose to to have him be like a a parody of a hard-boiled detective. Well, well, well. If it isn't Spanky and Alfalfa, either of you guys recognize Mr. Miner here? Well, he recognizes you. Seems Mr. Miner here is the night janitor down at the University Med Center. Says he saw you guys running out of there last night. 40 miles an hour, screaming like banshees. Care to comment? Seems we also found a headless body out in front of the Kappa Delta house last night. A body that came from a lab in the basement of the very medical center that Mr. Miner saw you running out of at 40 miles an hour. But it's so weird that you have these two movies from 1986 that are basically doing the same things. And I know, it's like, there's no way. There's there's cross-pollination here. Now, let me get this straight. You're telling me that these, these uh, things are inside the Golden Gate Bridge. One. Two, that they only come out at night. And three, 
that they are responsible for the death of 15 or more kids and three of my police officers. <laughs> my name is Timothy Snell, and I edited Neon Maniacs. It never really breaks out of character. Even the Devon character is so over the top, but it's sort of a, a recognizable character from noir that we accept. And it almost makes you feel comfortable, I think. It's like uh, this movie's almost like home cooking in a way. If you kids are giving me a snow job, all three of you are done. Do you understand that? Give me the mirror's office. From the police station, we cut to Detective Devin leading a fire truck and two police cars to the entrance of the maniac's lair. Where the police arm themselves with water pistols and the firemen ready their fire hose. Is at the end of the movie, Joey's, Joe's voice can be heard. Joe Man Jean ADR'd the line, put the spot on the door. Put the spot on the door. Detective Devin orders the police to open the lair door. All right, open it up. And they enter. My name is Stephen Romano, and I am a creative director of Avon Press, which is a division of Vinegar Syndrome Publishing. <laughs> but uh, I mean, Christ! I mean, you know, how can you how can you deny a movie where the you know where the where the the cop pauses the raid at the end of the film to light a cigarello? You know, <laughs> he just goes, "Wait!" <laughs> he lights a fucking cigarello, and then, "All right, let's go do this thing." Oh. <laughs> Can you believe this shit? Cannon Anderson. Yes, sir. Natalie, Stephen, and Paula anxiously wait outside while Detective Devin carefully navigates the dark lair. They first encounter an old maintenance truck, its cargo bed filled with dry brush, and they pass by sturdy metal scaffolding poles. Their flashlights sweep over discarded red paint buckets. A pigeon's coo breaks the silence. Ooh. Prompting a firefighter to react impulsively and unleash a powerful blast from the fire hose. All right, you guys, spread out. Detective Devin presses on, reaching the end of the lair where an abandoned red truck sits. All right, all right. Let's get out of here. Come on, move it. As the group exits the lair, Detective Devon's frustration boils to the surface. He vents his anger by forcefully tossing his cigar to the ground. I want you to get those fire hoses rolled up and get this fire truck the hell out of here. Uh, yes, sir. All right, party's over. Come on, move it. Let's go, move it. Keep walking. I saw Let's go. Them. I had them on videotape. Come on, move it. Get your hands off here. Once everyone is out of the frame, Detective Devon can't resist stealing one last glance back into the lair before deciding to go back inside. 
So from the rumors I always see online is that the movie is not finished. I mean, from what you know, is that true? Yeah, no, there's nothing that you're missing. There's nothing that we cut out. There's some capper ending. How does okay. it end now? Do you have it queued up? Yeah, so after the police check out the lair and don't find anything, Detective Devin goes back inside. Yeah, he, he walks slowly towards the back of the lair, but he stops at this truck that's like red and white. There's like some type of imagery on it, but he like slams his fist against the truck. Then he's in the back of the lair staring at the back of the truck. Yeah, and then he approaches the back of the truck. He opens the doors. And we see a shot of him, and there's white light hitting him, and his hat blows off, and then there's smoke. Like and, it's shot from inside the truck or something. Yes, and it, and then we cut to the face of the scavenger, and it's almost like it's the scavenger's POV looking at him. Yeah. You cut to the... Side view? Yes, the side view of the truck. The hook yeah. stabbing the detective's neck. Yeah. He is dragged inside the truck. And again, there's like smoke and white light coming out of the back of the, the truck. And then the doors close of the... Layer. Yeah, the layer. The layer doors close. We hear thunder and we cut to the kids driving in a van. Yeah, see, that's how it ended. And the whole the whole gag was was that the lair was never the lair. It was the bakery truck. That was the portal. The lair was never the portal, right? Correct. And isn't wasn't this a big painting on the side of the truck that was sort of creepy? On the side of the truck, it says Dante's. Dante's Dante's bakery, maybe. It's something. There's something about the truck that's. But that was a gag. The, the thing, the gag was that everybody thought that it was the lair, but it was actually the truck, the bakery truck is the portal. The bakery truck is cr crucial, what it says on the side. And it's something like Dante's Bakery or, and there's some written, there's some picture of like a person that looks really creepy on it, I think. No? There is a painting, but you can't really see what the painting is. Like the devil or something? No. Okay, here we go. We're they're, they're approaching it right now. I'm watching it on YouTube. Okay, Dante's Dante's Bakery. I cannot tell what the picture is though. But it's like a line drawing, like an etching kind of old old-fashioned kind of ornate kind of like a like a 1930s or something. I, I wish I could see it more clearly, but I can't. I'm sure there's other pictures of it in the movie because that's not the only time we see it. Um, unfortunately, I think it is. That's the only time we enter the layer is at that very ending. They enter the layer twice. First, they enter with all the cops and there's nothing there. And then the detective goes back inside one more time. Yeah, because that's the Did biggest I... mystery. Yeah, because originally, yeah, it was supposed to be the Verrazano Bridge because people died making the Verrazano Bridge. Making it, yeah. So they thought it would 
So that's where originally it came from. Then it turned, then it changed to this bakery truck, which is like, you know, like really mysterious and like one of the great mysteries of this film. Well, if, let me say this is somebody had to paint that truck and somebody in the art department has to know about it. My name is Catherine Valin and um, I was the production designer on um, Neon Maniacs. I think that the director had to change on the lurch. He had to change a little bit the ending, probably because of some impossibility. What he had originally in the script could not be done. So he came up with a new ending. And I guess it was, it was going to be something happening inside this truck. So at the end, they are going through the doors which are the doors from which all these uh, maniacs came out. So we have established that already. And when the policeman at the end has a second thought and he says, okay, is there really nothing going on here? Goes back and, and it's, everything is calm. But then he opens this van, an old van that is inside the bridge. And then there's these big lights and he's... You know, that's the end of the film. So it is, the, it is, again, the portal. But instead of being whatever else they had in mind, the portal seems to open inside that van. So I guess that's the idea. But I remember that when the director came up with that end, what I enjoyed doing is that... I do not remember if Dante's Bakery was, the name was my idea, or if it was the idea of a director. I forgot that. But I remember that on the side of the van, unfortunately, the light was very low, so we don't see it. There's a very jovial baker uh, painted that is very porcine, you know, very big, nice, reddish cheek. And obviously, Dante's, you know, Dante's Inferno, <laughs> that's the idea, right? Because Dante's Inferno, so it's like the van from hell in a way. You follow me? So, so and as I say, I might have come up with that name, I'm not sure, but it's sort of an allusion to hell. I mean, a subtle way nobody's noticing, but, you know, we do enjoy doing this kind of thing in film. Um, so there's an allusion, and I wanted the, uh, the image on it to be evoking of, of the devil, of hell, of something very nefarious. And, and what I enjoy very much, instead of portraying hell or the devil or monsters in a very frightening way I find it even more creepy if they have a big smile and they're very nice and fat and uh, uh, very obsequious so that's the idea is Dante and and this um, you know this sort of baker that were so jovial that he was creepy so and I remember very well wanting the image to be the contrary of what you expect, not frightening, 
but even more creepy. And so it's very possible that I came up with the name Dante's Bakery. And again, what do you do in hell? You cooking, right? You cook in the fire of eternity in hell. I mean, I'm, I'm not religious, you know, so you know. But those are all the, the images that are floating in people's mind. So I think that's why the bakery. It's a sort of a humoristic way to evoke uh, hell or whatever thing uh, that that place was. And, but not in a first degree, in a sort of very subtle degree. I mean, the first degree, when you want to indicate something evil, is you make it hideous and scary. The second degree for me is when you make it the opposite. When you have something that uh, you usually consider as sympathetic or nice or plump or, you know, but but it is so much so that it becomes actually even more frightening. You know, if the if the devil was a scary monster, he wouldn't get any su- success. When you see like the the story of Faust, um, the devil show up as a very handsome, uh, attractive young man. That's how he seduces people. That's how how he gets people in trouble, right? You have to be very... Um, you can't show up as a monster if you want to trap people in, into your nets, right? So that was that's why I put a bakery, which is something that people relate to as a, what's nice. You know, you've got good cakes and all this nice stuff. And then a nice plump baker on the, on the drawing. So... You know, the opposite of what is scary, but in the same times with a second degree of, of meaning. But, okay, there was not enough life, lights on it, so nobody figured it out. <laughs> but that's the story behind. I always thought the scavengers were like big, huge cockroaches or something, you know, kind of like with with the hooks. I just remember the the grappling hook kind of thing as being not grappling hook, but the the ice hook really is what it was, right? Yeah. Like they, the reason why there's never dead bodies is because they clean them up. Yeah. 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 And then take them back to the bakery truck into yeah. the other dimension, you know. And someone I was talking to wishes they could have saw like a little piece of that, like. Oh, yeah, that came in discussion. If they could have seen in the truck to see what's on the, on the other side of the portal. And we played around. I remember we played around with an idea of uh, special effect with the lights and everything. But it, it really, we just stuck with production, what they did in production. I mean, there's very little, there's no CG. I mean, there's, it's all production. Oh, wow. So that was something you guys discussed. Well, yeah, there was, because you want, we wanted to know how much you could see. And I'm, and I'm trying to remember how much you could see in the truck. I'm trying to remember if I cut away before you could actually see in, or if we were going to try to match something in there, you know, it's kind of like a, a Stargate or whatever that's called. There was much discussion about the ending. I think the ending is the way it, the way it was. I'm Bob Farina one of the producers of Neomanics.
I'm Chris Arnold. I was one of the partners of Cimarron Productions, which was the company that came in to uh, put the Neon Maniacs together after the initial production had fallen apart. No, Tim was just telling me stuff like when the detective is taken into the truck, which is like the portal. Yeah. He said you guys might have discussed showing the other side of what happens in the truck for a moment inside the portal. You know, I, I mentioned this to you, Steve, when you talked to me before. I don't understand why this movie is so truncated at the end. There doesn't seem to be an ending to this movie. Probably ran out of money. <laughs> well, Probably ran, ran out of money. We ran out of money at the beginning. But <laughs> but I, I, I've never figured out why we didn't really come up with an ending for this movie. I don't remember the idea of us going into the truck. I do remember... I do remember, well, I, I can tell you this much. So we have the, we have him going up to the truck. Then we have the door opening and you see this monster there. Then you see him sucked into it. And I remember Joe deciding that he was going to do a POV of him and go inside into the light, right? And I, but that's all I remember was that it was going to white out, that he he was going to go inside the truck with us. He he was the operator at the time. Joe was so he, I think he did that. I don't remember whether we used it or not. So, it was. I had some strict policies. One of the policies which Joe didn't like was he was allowed four takes. That was it. No more than four takes. As a matter of fact, you at the end in the. Yeah, man, I swear, when the detective, from, when the doors open, we're shooting from the inside. The doors open, the detective walks in. He, Joe had shot four takes. On take five, when they opened the door, I was standing there. I said, that's it. We're done. Close it up. So, four takes was it. Yeah. Couldn't afford more than four takes. You can't get in four. Clint Eastwood does it in two. Joe can do it in four. <laughs> My name is Sean Robert. And then you get introduced to the fact that there's, you know, everyone leaves and everything, but you get introduced to the fact when the, the, the main cop goes back, just, just, I need to take one more look. And he gets pulled into the portal in the back of this, this old ambulance or, or something it's so weird. It's so out of left field. But it's, again, it's 100% the intentionality of like what they were going for. And the fact that they never broached the idea that there was a portal to another dimension in this movie before this moment. This was also a huge 80s trope, right? Like uh, other fantasy worlds finding a portal to this world, whether it's like Masters of the Universe or Beastmaster 2, or it's, it's a weird trope. Hey, you, you know, it's funny, though, is because you know it's a portal because you read the Fangoria article. Exactly. That's the only reason. It's If not, it's just, it'd be more like, a, I don't know, like maybe like Poltergeist or something, like the whole bright lights and and he's getting all crazy and then you see a scavenger pull him in. But yeah, no, it's 100% up for interpretation. Yeah, but no, we know it's a portal. But mm-hmm. the regular viewer that never read that article is going to have no idea what's going on in that scene. That's the craziest thing. These are the things that needed to be addressed in that opening 
monologue. <laughs> After Detective Devon is attacked by the scavenger and dragged into light, the lair doors shut, with a flash of lightning briefly illuminating them. The scene transitions to Stephen at the wheel of his delivery van, with Natalie and Paula seated inside, the sweep of windshield wipers battling the pouring rain. Can't you stop your squirt gun? Yeah, I think so. Keep it. This rain won't last forever. The camera then cuts to a puddle on the rain-soaked ground. Raindrops continue to fall as the camera pans upward, revealing the iconic Golden Gate Bridge. The credits begin to roll. That's the ending, yes. I believe that is the ending because the idea is that the demons are still out there or the maniacs. So yeah, in that regard, I think it is sort of undone, but not, not, in any other, not in any way. I think we wrapped up all the characters. This is what people are reacting to when they say it feels unfinished. Yeah, the three kids are driving and it's raining. And Steven says, uh, this rain's not gonna last forever. Yeah, that's it. That's the last dialogue. I, that's what I remember now. What do we, who else do we need to resolve? Um, All right. Yeah. So I'm happy. Paula? With... No, is Paula in the car? Yeah. Paula's in the car. Yeah. Paula is in the car. Natalie and Stephen. All three of the leads. Yeah. And like I said, Stephen says the rain's not going to last forever. And we kind of get a quick shot of a puddle. Right. And a quick glimpse of the Golden Gate Bridge and the credits roll immediately. Oh, well, maybe they needed a shot of the car going down the road into the distance. You know, maybe it was just a little abrupt. And uh, I think that's the ending. I mean, what better ending could you have if kids saying rain won't last forever, you know? Okay, so from like, yeah, so from what you know, there's nothing missing. Like, the movie is complete. Yeah, that was the last line in the script, I bet you. Uh, my name is Brad Henderson. I am uh, acquisitions and producer over at Terravision Films. Well, when I first saw it, I think it just kind of went over my head. I was just like, okay, the movie's over, you know, question mark. I didn't really like think about, wow, this just kind of super lackluster ending. Like what did this amount to? We don't know. And then as I got older, you realize it had obviously production problems, but I don't know at this point, I've kind of gotten over the mystery of it where I just, it kind of just leaves it more or less open-ended and open for interpretation, I guess. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't really bother me. It's just, you know, cause like it's, I'm so emotionally invested into the background of the movie that I don't let the ending, like, I guess if you showed this to somebody and they had no interest in knowing more about it, they would be like, this is stupid. It's like one of those movies that, Oh, it was all a dream. That's dumb. You know, but with people that I think want to know more about it, it's kind of you can kind of forgive it. And that's how I, I just kind of forgive the ending at this point, because it's like I don't think it's anybody's fault other than maybe the producers and producer interference. But it honestly, it never really bothered me. It was just something that I was just like, OK, it's over. That sucks. I want to see the maniacs again. 
it's just hard. I guess it's heartbreaking when it ends because it's another. It's a movie that could have probably went on for another hour, and it would have been great. My name is Stephen Romano. That's probably my favorite shot in the movie. Is the very end where uh, where where uh, the the detective gets you know hooked. <laughs> I always really love that. You know? you know, because like 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 the the, uh, the 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 battle of bands ends, and it's kind of a. Oh, it's not exactly a whimper and not a bang, but I mean, it, you know, they escape with their lives and, and they're just kind of going, oh, well, you know, and then, and then, and then you see the cop show up at the very end for the coda. And it, and I've always thought that that was, that was a really, it's almost like a dream in a way that it leaves off on this really strange question mark Maybe they, maybe the rain, you know, you know, will uh, will keep them away. Maybe it won't. Um, but really, the climax of the movie's already happened at that point. They've pulled their 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 most interesting card already, which is the battle of the bands. You know, it, it, that that's what you paid your money to see was that whole scene, starting with the songs and everything, and uh, ending with the attack of the maniacs. That's what it was all about, and. You know, if you if 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 you weren't, you know, just shaking your head with incredulity and you know, and just like what in the hell is this during that whole scene and not if you didn't feel satisfied after that, there's really again no hope for you. <laughs> so but but I yeah, I always really liked this strange question mark that hung on the ending because it didn't feel to me like your standard it was all over, but was it scene? There's something really um I like you say special about about just the kind of way that, that the way that it feels when he says that at the end the rain won't last forever. There's something there's something real, um, kind of off the the off the the path and very quirky going on there, which is uh, which is very much like the whole rest of the movie. When when I first saw it, and probably when you first saw it, it was very. I I think I rewound it. <laughs> just to just to see the ending again like like wait did that just was that the ending brian sour pure cinema podcast i the, again the ending is the only thing that the more i think about it the more i like it but the first time i watched it it just feels like kind of a whisper kind of way to end things because he's just like that rain won't you know go forever or whatever he says and it's really kind of saying we're screwed. Like this is, and, and so in that sense, it's a good ending, you know, and the fact that they have the big jump scare before that scene, as opposed to after that scene, which is another structural thing. Most horror movies would do the reverse. They would have that scene in the van with him saying that, and then have the final scene with the jump scare cut to credits. You know what I mean? So I think that's part of me is just used to certain structural tropes with these horror movies that always go for that big scare at the end, as opposed to a, a quieter line of dialogue. And again, the more I think about it, the more I like it, you know, and the more it makes me think about, and I think I mentioned this on pure cinema, the idea of a movie like demons where it ends and you're just like, we still got a lot more world and movie that could be happening. And you're just kind of like leaning forward in your seat, almost like, Oh, that's the end. I, I could watch more. Um, you know, so demons is an example of that. And, uh, the beyond is obviously a whole other level of that, you know, but those kind of endings, I, I tend to really dig. So again, the more I sit with it, the more the whole movie 
grows in my estimation. Every part of it, just the structure and the tropes and the ending. Yeah, they are great. Yeah, you know what? I never thought about that. You do usually get the kill, the final kill, the surprise, like the, the kill is not dead, kill and then cut to credits. But you never get it. You just, you totally nailed that. I never thought about that because I was talking to the editor and I was trying to explain to him, some people think the movie's incomplete because of the way it ends. And he was saying, oh, maybe I should have put a shot of the van driving off and then credits. And, but then I was always thinking about, I'm so happy he didn't do that. I'm happy it ends the way it does. Because when I first saw this film, the ending was just like, wait, what? Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, it was like the first time I saw Adam Green's hatchet when it ended. I was like, wait, what? It just ends in this weird way. And I think that's way more memorable of a way to end something than like what you said. Like if uh, if they would just ended with uh, the detective getting pulled into the truck at the ending, you know, yeah. then it ended. It wouldn't have had the same impact. And I don't think as many people would have talked about this movie if it ended the, you know, that way. No, no, I agree. And I, I think I also just love the idea of being with the characters that we like at the end, you know, getting their last word uh, as to close the film, you know, as opposed to the jump scare. I, I just, there's something, I just really enjoy these characters. So I'd much rather be with them at the ending and then get that jump scare that I've seen a thousand times in a bunch of other movies. So like the ending is so strange because it took me a while to understand the bridge you go inside the bridge and then there's a truck and then that's where the dimension is. And it's so odd. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't fully get that. I, I kind of got it, but I didn't fully get it. That the, the truck itself seems to be the gateway is what you're saying. So, yeah. so it's kind of like a weird cosmic clown car that they can all go into and come out of, but it's actually got an interdimensional portal inside of it as opposed to the mysterious like how can you fit so many people in a clown car kind of clown car that's crazy that's cool and that makes sense now that i think about it you know that wraps up this week's episode i would like to thank sean farina for putting together and recording the interview with chris arnold and bob farina our opening and closing theme music is by shane mckinney this show is written produced and edited by your host steven scarlatta Next week is our final episode. And I want to thank you all so much for listening and for all your support. Thank you so much. This has been quite a journey making this podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you can help me out, please rate it on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next week, stay out of the shadows.